Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode of the Pooch Parenting Podcast, we're giving a little twist on what it means to parent kids and dogs and to set everyone up for success. Today, I interview Sarah Sproul. She is a sex educator. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to be talking really about sex, but we will be talking about bodies and we will also be talking about how we can use dogs as a way to teach our children about consent. Stay tuned. This one is going to knock your socks off. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for being with us today on the Pooch Parenting Podcast. Uh, Michelle, it's such an honor to be invited. Thank you. Well, Sarah and I met each other in a program called Tribe, in which we both learned to set up and run membership programs, which we are both doing. And it's such an incredible program because we've met people from all over the world. And I love the fact that we can take pieces of our experience professionally and personally, and we can bring them together to help Mm -hmm. our mutual audiences. So why don't you introduce yourself, Sarah, and then we'll dive into today's very unique topic. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, my name is Sarah, and I support parents of generally kids 13 and under to have conversations about sensitive things like bodies and sex and babies and puberty and, you know, all the things up to the dark topics about, you know, difficult abuse things that happen. And um, I do that in a way that maintains connection because a lot of us, um, if we have been raised in a family that didn't have open natural conversations about sensitive things like that, can sometimes feel that if we if we start talking that we can sort of damage the connection we have with our kids, either because it's causing embarrassment in them or maybe that we might say the wrong thing and um, our kid doesn't want to know us. So um, that's the world in which I function and um, a lot of the people that I support have pets oftentimes dogs. And so when I heard about your podcast, I was excited because our worlds definitely intersect. They really do. And when you and I were originally talking about what we could share together today, Mm -hmm. the topic of consent was a natural Mm -hmm. one for us to discuss today. And I teach a lot of families about how to teach consent with dogs because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've all been to that holiday party where some weird uncle comes up and like squeezes our cheeks or pats us Mm -hmm. on the behind or does something totally inappropriate that makes us really uncomfortable. And nobody ever really told me that I didn't have to put up with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And our pet dogs or cats or any other animals that we have in the house also have the right to say no thanks to that. Mm. But we don't always really consider that. And we think, well, our dog is friendly. Anyone can reach out and pet our dog at any time. But that Mm. can often lead to bites. And Mm. so I love that you and I can talk together today about how we could possibly use our compassion for our pets 
to teach the concept of consent to children. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting because um, not only are we able to um, have the fact that our pets are in our lives to sort of take care of our pets, but we can teach our children how to take care of themselves. So, you know, this consent is like this two-way street. Not only do we need to learn to um, read the signals that other people and our pets give out, but we also need to be the ones that are speaking up for ourselves and what our needs are. And we can do that with our pets too. So it's this beautiful relationship that there's so much practical teaching opportunities. Because one of the things, Michelle, that some parents will say is that they have this idea that consent and conversations about consent are related to things to do with sex or making out or whatever you know, word you'd like to use, but there is so much more to consent than that. And you gave that perfect example of the the uncle that's all that's all handsy. And um, <laughs> consent is really part of everyday life. Consent shows up in a restaurant when maybe our food isn't hasn't come quite the way we want it. And consent is like, well, how do we speak up for what we need from our server, from the people in the kitchen? So consent is huge. You know, it's funny that you said that because it opened up this whole thing for me. I, I was looking at a friend on Facebook the other day who was telling a story about um, she was in a store with her father who is older and mm -hmm. the person helping them had their mask that kept slipping below their nose. And they kept mm -hmm. asking that employee, please fix your mask, please fix your mask. And they finally left the store without making the purchase mm -hmm. because they felt that that person was not respecting the boundaries that they were trying to set. And I think, I think that's that COVID has actually taught us something about hmm. speaking up for what makes us comfortable and uncomfortable. What do you yes. think about that? Like how, how has that, I don't know, how does that influence your thoughts about consent? Because I like that you said that it's not specifically just about sex because I do think about that, right? I have two kids hmm. in college right now. So consent is a very sexual topic and, but it doesn't need to be. There's so many other parts of life where consent matters. And I, I almost think that if we can practice with things that are not physically or emotionally damaging, then when it really matters later, we're going to be practiced and ready to speak up. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah. Absolutely. Like my, where my brain went when you were saying that was a story, like when my kids were small. So I have a 18 year old, a 16 year old and an almost 14 year old. And I have two dogs who are both five. Um, so they came into our family when our kids were sort of just finishing primary school. Um, but when my kids were very small, like before even the eldest had started school, I went through like mother burnout purely because I had not developed the skills of being able to speak up for what I needed. And that was just in, in running the family. And I think this is a familiar experience for many of us who become parents in whatever way we become parents. And we have this huge load on us. If we haven't had an experience of um, being encouraged to speak up, particularly if we identify as female or we were raised, we're women or we were raised female in some way um it's we're often socialized to try and keep everyone around us comfortable mm -hmm. and so that will really impact our ability to um 
to feel confident that, yeah, my needs are important. And consent does not work if, let's say this is between two people, consent does not work if one side of the consent equation isn't able to speak up for what they need, you know. So um, it, so I'm just thinking of a dog-related story. We had um, a little friend of one of my sons who was afraid of dogs. Now, in your world, you would be able to fix that. But in my world, I'm not a dog trainer. I wasn't able to fix that. So it was absolutely a matter of negotiating around his comfort. Like, okay, so we knew Zach was coming over to to stay after school. Like, what would we need to do to make sure our dogs were comfortable in their their own home? And yet at the same time, this little boy had the opportunity to play in a way that he he wasn't afraid. And um and it's it was it was very much around his parents speaking up very clearly on his behalf to say, look, he would love to come, but he's got a dog problem and we'd be we were able to work it out. But imagine if they hadn't spoke up. Imagine if um his parent had not had the ability to advocate for their child. How difficult would it have been for me as like a caring, genuine, I like to think, genuine sort of person who likes to do their best. If I didn't know what he needed, I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. So consent is absolutely this two-way street of being able to speak up or show in some other way what our needs are and for us to be able to be in tune to what other people are saying and respect their needs, even if they're different to ours. I love that story. And I see that a lot. You know, I do help families who have kids who are afraid of dogs. And it's really, um, it's empowering when we can help those kids learn to recognize how dogs are feeling so that then they can Mm -hmm. reassess their own level of safety in that any particular situation. Mm -hmm. But poor Mm -hmm. Zach would have had a nervous breakdown if the dog Mm -hmm. rushed him at the door, wagging Mm -hmm. tail and all to say, Zach, you're here. I'm so happy you're here. And poor Zach would be a puddle of nerves and you wouldn't have known. And so I love that Zach's parent was able to advocate for him ahead of time so that you could Mm -hmm. give your dog a special bone in another room. So your dog was also happy and Zach could play safely at your house. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. really, really good. Um, You talked about learning signals and, you know, consent being a two-way street. So I would love to just dive into that a little bit more. Um, I have a lot of listeners and families who follow along on social media or who are part of my membership who have children who are on the autism spectrum or have ADHD or other challenges. And reading bodies can be hard for Mm. those families because Mm. either the kids are moving 10,000 miles an hour and they don't necessarily stop to look and see how someone else is responding or developmentally, they, they just have trouble recognizing that kind of thing. So can we just talk a little bit about how you help people um, or any strategies that anyone could use to help their kids to either pause or to just recognize that this is a two-way street? Yeah. So one of the pillars or the foundations of the work I do is that while we've been taught to think that our children learn things to do with sexuality and relationships and love and connection by us 
telling them information, the far more powerful way kids learn is by living and seeing and experiencing the dynamics of what we're talking about. Um, Those, uh, you know, living with an adult who is able to clearly state a boundary. So one of the things that will commonly um, come into my inbox will be a question from a mom, usually it's a mom, saying that they have maybe a five-year-old who is really touchy like they really need a lot of they'll come and they'll touch their parents breasts or their bum or their back and the parent in this instance is saying well I don't feel comfortable with this and my other two kids don't do this Um, but I don't want to shame my kid because a lot of us have been raised with you know shame related to bodies and sex and, and parents don't want to propagate that shame right so they're stuck in this situation on what what do I do and it's very much about teaching an adult that when we can clearly state a boundary for ourselves we are giving our child a gift which is the gift of experiencing what a boundary respectfully held looks and feels like and for for neurodiverse children just like many other things it can often mean that that boundary has to be repeated and repeated and repeated because the nuance of things aren't clear. So in that example I was giving you, um, two neurotypical children in that family, they can clearly read, you know, their mother's signals or maybe they don't have the same sensory need for like deep touch or deep pressure or whatever that is that will that will sort of um, motivate a child to come and seek this, sort of these feeling another person's body so in those moments there is no shame in saying or using hand gestures or whatever it is and saying you know putting your palm out saying I love you and right now um I you know whatever it is I need my to keep my breast to myself but I can see that you need some touch so how how can we get you some touch it was like so it's acknowledging their need And at the same time, acknowledging our need for space. And it's, you know, when I describe this, I put my two hands up in front of me, almost like a weighing scales to say, like, on one hand, we have our child's absolutely valid need for that touch. And in in my story, they're coming to me. In your world, they might go to the family pet, right? But equally, my need for space and to have my breast to myself and our dog's need to have to sit there on the couch and to be able to just rest, those, those two needs coexist in this situation. And it's our job as the adult is to learn how to take those two needs and create this sort of situation of collaboration where everyone gets an input into how a problem like that is solved because when we're particularly when we're talking about children and their needs unless they have some sort of um, buy-in like some sort of say it's going to be super difficult to get them to go along with us if we're just autocratically saying this is the way it has to be particularly neurodiverse kids oftentimes they're you know, wicked smart and they can see all the inequalities and inaccuracies in the world and and they have something to offer in this dynamic that we're talking about. Oh my gosh, this is so helpful. I, You said one thing that really stuck out 
that is so relatable to the work that I do with families and their dogs is you mentioned offering an alternative. So instead of you touching my body, which I can see you really need some physical contact right now, how about you touch this instead or you squeeze this instead? And that could be anything Mm -hmm. from a stress ball or a squishy or any kind of sensory, you know, type of, you know, thing that clicks or clacks or, you know, whatever, or a weighted blanket or, um, You in a former life were an occupational therapist and my son, when he was young, went to occupational therapy. And I noticed that, that there are so many similarities here with ways that kids can feel more regulated, whether it's that they get on some kind of swing that you have hanging in the house or, Mm. you know, that they're able to sink their hands into something squishy or the Mm. opposite of that because squishy is Mm. gross. Um, But I I see a lot of times, you know, you talked about how parents will come to you with questions and say, Mm -hmm. this is what my experience is and I don't know how to respond. I get the same thing, but oftentimes in my case, it is um, my dog is growling at my child because my child Mm -hmm. isn't respecting my dog's boundaries. And this is one of the most common things is about boundaries. Mm -hmm. My dog doesn't want X, Y, and Z. And my Mm -hmm. child either isn't listening or doesn't have an alternative or just goes ahead and does it anyway, because the dog is soft and feels, Mm -hmm. you know, comforting in some way to the child. But the dog, the dog needs to be able to express its own level of consent that Mm -hmm. I don't want to be squeezed or hugged or grabbed right now. Um, So I think this is really interesting. Do you have any advice? I mean, obviously the dog tries to speak up for itself. It could do that by using its body language, which I love to help parents. I love to translate for them, right? That's part of the the program that I offer is to help parents really understand this so that their kids can understand it. But alternatively, you know, the dog can't really say anything. And if the child isn't either old enough, mature enough, slow enough, I don't mean, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. that, that they can notice enough. Yeah. that they, yeah. yeah, exactly. That they can notice how the dog's face got tight or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that we then have to be that advocate, just like yeah. you are for your own body. We have to advocate and say, oh, did yeah. you notice Fluffy, Fluffy, you know, started yawning when you started reaching for him and he didn't, he he's telling us no thank you right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting dynamic in the way an adult advocates on behalf of their pet. And it's mir- it's mirrored in family life too, because some of us have children of different ages. And um, one of the responsibilities of an adult who is caring for children is that they advocate on behalf of children who are too young to make their own decisions yet and to stand up for themselves. So one of the examples in my world would be, say, there are, say the family has is still doing joint bath time and there are you know three children in the bath for example and you've got a seven-year-old and you've got a five-year-old and then maybe you've got a two-year-old there and the five-year-old is really interested in the two-year-old's penis and there's nothing untoward about it it's just like oh yeah look at yours and they'll might try and poke it and the two-year-old might try and poke the five-year-old's penis and this goes on right so what that presents is an opportunity, a teaching opportunity, first of all, but it also allows for the parent to advocate on behalf of particularly the young child. So the, the, it could look like this. Do you know what? Your 
your little brother, he's only two and he he doesn't know the words to use and he doesn't understand that um, penises are private and the only person that really gets to touch his penis is him and sometimes me if I need to clean his body, right? But he doesn't know that. He doesn't have the words. So because I'm his parent, I'm going to let you know. Now, I'm using really wordy words for this to just mm-hmm. to give everyone the context, but you could say in the bath, remember, Mikey can't speak up for himself, so I'm going to remind you that penises are just for the person whose body they're on. Mm-hmm. And you could use that exact same thing for the dog. You know, remember, um, my dog's name's Louie, so remember, Louie can't use his his words, so I'm going to remind you that if you look at his face, you'll notice blah, blah, blah. And so mm-hmm. we we get to be, it's almost like we're in a translator role as the responsible adult. And we are presenting to our child in a way because they aren't seeing it for for themselves in a way that they can understand and making it very explicit and clear. Oh, this is gold. It's really nice to have somebody able to translate what we are going through as parents whether mm-hmm. it's parents to kids or dogs. I think this is such a valuable, valuable conversation. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add into this? I want to respect everyone's time, but this is so good. I feel like I could ask you more questions and we could be here for another two hours, but in respect of everyone's time, do you have anything else specifically that we want to focus on? I'll tell you one more story. So this is coming at consent from a slightly different perspective. So as I said, we got our dogs when our kids were 12, 10, and 8. And I remember because because I've been a sexuality educator for a while now, so consent would have been part of our world. And I remember one day my son coming to me, uh, I think he was 8, and he said to me, Mom, are dogs allowed to see us naked? And my heart was just so full of gratitude for this teaching opportunity, right? Because it's like, wow, my kid gets that our our bodies are our own. And also this idea that is it, you know, is the dog okay with this? Like what's going on here? So it we were able to have a conversation, you know, that um, when we are naked, we have different levels of comfort. So, and and just as a side note, the families listening to this, everyone will have a different level of comfort about nakedness in their home, right? right. And yeah. and that comfort is exactly right for us. We don't have to all be the same. Um, and so we we had this conversation about how well you know you decide if Louis is lying on the floor in your room and you want to get changed, you get to decide whether you feel comfortable doing that or not. And that's up to you. And what do you notice about your body? Because our body can send us signals, right? Like we can get that real sense of knowing whether we feel comfortable or not. And he didn't give me the answer to that. But um, it was this, uh, it was flipping the consent sort of dynamic on the head around pets and actually realizing that um, it's not just about being clear about what our dog needs but also learning that sometimes for us around dogs that we have needs that need to be met like sometimes well one of the simple ones is maybe we don't want to have the dog in 
the, the bathroom when we're showering just makes us feel a bit weird. And that's absolutely fine. Even though like dogs have probably been around naked people for like the whole of the time that dogs have been domestic animals, you know, and it's no big deal. But um, I love the way these teachable moments, we call them teachable moments in sexuality education, these teachable moments where there's a dynamic in our house about our pet and it means a conversation begins. That is such a beautiful story. That is so incredibly sweet. And it shows how thoughtful your mm. child is because that could be interpreted in two ways, right? Mm. Like, is it okay for me, for the dog to look at me? Like, yes. is that weird? But yes. it's also, if you flip it on its head, it's asking if the dog is okay seeing yes. that, right? Yes. I think that's so yes. incredibly thoughtful and warm mm. and what mm. an insightful person you know, to ask that question. I think that's really great. So Sarah, where can people find you? Because you have such a warm approach that is so supportive. And these are issues that all of us as parents have to go through. And there are some stages of our lives and our kids' lives as they grow and develop. Um, you and I have a lot in common in terms of we are supporting families when their kids mm. are a variety of different ages and, mm. and there are different needs at each of those stages. So how can people find you so that no matter what phase they're in, they can get help from you? Sure. So Instagram is my happy place, really, Michelle. So okay. um, it's I am Sarah Sproul on Instagram, and I have a weekly podcast um, called Sitting in a Car, where I answer questions, real questions from parents about something sensitive that's happening in their family. And um, that is one of the ways that I can support uh, families of all different ages and stages uh, in their journey to raise confident and caring young people, as I call them, um, who respect themselves and the people around them. Oh, what a gift. Thank you, Sarah. I'm going to link to those in the show notes of this episode. I just want to thank you warmly again mm -hmm. for agreeing to talk with us today. I love that we can combine our loves and mm -hmm. help families to feel more confident as they navigate some of this tricky stuff. Thank you for your work. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on the podcast app of your choice. For ongoing support, get on the waitlist for the Pooch Parenting Society, where I share training tips, activities, and coaching so families with dogs can live in harmony. By signing up at safekidsanddogs.com, you'll be the first to know when I open registration again for new members.